Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Bail reform has been a national focus in recent years. Increasingly, people who pay attention to the criminal justice system question why poor people are often stuck behind bars for months and sometimes even years waiting for their day in court, while more affluent defendants are able to post bond and get out in a matter of days. The Missouri Supreme Court decided to address that problem. In 2018, it issued new rules for the courts it supervises, with changes that went into effect last July. Those changes said that judges must first consider non-monetary conditions for pretrial relief not just default to locking people up while they wait for their day in court. Judges must now, quote, first consider the least restrictive conditions in light of the circumstances of each individual crime, the rules now say. Those changes took effect just about eight months ago, but Republicans in the Missouri legislature say those changes are already causing big problems, and they've introduced a bill to undo them. So joining us today by phone to explain why is Missouri Representative Justin Hill. He's a Republican who represents Lake St. Louis. So Representative Hill, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me again. Now, you circulated a letter among your colleagues raising alarm about this bill. What first got you concerned or about these changes? What first got you concerned about what the Supreme Court had done here? Well, it, it was put on my radar last fall when a gentleman was released from court with no bail requirements. And then I want to say two months later, uh, murdered um, some people uh, in Kansas and then escaped to Mexico. And somebody said, well, these, he was released under these new Supreme Court rules on pretrial release. And, and I had, that was the first time I heard about it. So I looked into it, and, and lo and behold, our Supreme Court went ahead and implemented legislation that was already filed in the state of Missouri for the last two years um, and mimicked other states' legislation and went ahead and made law via rulemaking. And so, you know, I found I found I was I was alarmed by a somebody being released that ended up murdering people, and and then b that the Supreme Court went ahead and passed a law without the legislature. And so you're talking about this uh, Tequila Kansas City or Tequila KC bar shooting. Um, this I think four people ended up getting shot at this bar in Kansas City, and these two guys they did have um, some pretty significant interaction with the criminal justice system. And one of them, I guess, had been let out just on his own reconnaissance before this shooting. So it sounds like that's what got you looking into this. Once you got into it, did you hear from colleagues that they had similar concerns? So yeah, so exactly around the state, people started sending me, you know some notes on Facebook or whatnot and said, what's going on? So I looked at the rules. I looked at, at the, you know, the, the requirement of cash bail was, was put on the bottom of, of the pretrial release rules. And, you know, uh, something had to be done with it. So I asked, I looked, I did some homework, and I, and I found out that no public comment was sought, right? When we pass a law in Jeff City, the public can testify. You know, they can lobby their legislators. They can tell them the good and the bad, pros and the cons on, on law, like, the, like House Bill 666 last year. It's an awful number, but that was the pretrial release reform bill uh, that would, had been filed for two years. Well, guess what? It was implemented by rules now, so it's not filed this year. But the whole idea was the public was removed from the conversation, and now the public wants to have a say-so. 
So it looked like the people signing your letter, from what I could tell, it looked like a lot of Republicans. Um, were Democrats just that they didn't want to sign this? Or So honestly, uh, that letter was, I obtained those signatures in a matter of about four hours. And before I could go to the Democrat caucus, everybody had left because of a snowstorm that, that was hitting Jefferson City. Okay. Um, so really, in, in their defense, they did not have an opportunity to sign. Um, I know some are have are struggling with these pretrial release rules um, now because um, criminals, I mean, felons are literally being released hours later. So in this letter, you're asking the Supreme Court to rescind these rules. Have you gotten a response from them to that request? Uh, they have not sent me a response. They've come to testify saying why they implemented the rules. They come to testify uh, that they had a task force um, to consider these rules before implementing them. And I asked them if if the task force was selected by the public, and it was not. I asked them if public comment was, was made available, uh, uh, and it was not. So um, they, they've been visiting now in my office. You know, they, they obviously see the it, it looks bad that a bill was presented and they took that bill and made it into law, essentially. So, they, so they're not too happy about the optics, but I just want to get to a point where we can talk with the Supreme Court over, over a sensible way in doing this. What kind of options do you have if they don't rescind this? Well, I mean, if they don't rescind it, um, obviously, you know, public opinion, it, I mean, they're going to lose in the court of public opinion. I, I think um, if they do rescind it, though, we can develop good reforms with uh, with the public input reforms like, you know, not allowing somebody to sit in jail for longer than the sentence would be um, reforms like uh, mandating that somebody gets a pretrial release hearing within 48 hours of being charged or arrested um, reforms like municipal court reforms. You know, a lot of the problems in Missouri and St. Uh, come from St. Louis because we have too many municipal courts in St. Louis County that have been raising revenues on the backs of the citizens. And when people can't pay their fines, they, they just keep accumulating until somebody, somebody in a smaller municipal court in St. Louis County says, you know what, he obviously can't pay. Well, we're just going to keep him in jail for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's unacceptable. I had the sense that there was something that you could do to force them to revoke these rules, that there was some sort of procedural move here. Am I wrong about that? Well, there is, but it has to be in a bill. Okay. So that's, that's why I filed House Bill 1937. Uh, if it passes both chambers, then it would force a re- uh, recension. I guess that's the, uh, I don't know the correct term, but it would force the uh, Supreme Court to rescind those rules. And then hopefully we can have a discussion about it. So that would be, it would go through the system like any other bill to basically force that rescindment. <laughs> Co- correct. Okay. Correct. Um, so bigger picture, though, um, you've said that these rules place a significant burden on courts. And honestly, from looking through them, I'm not sure what you mean by a significant burden. It does seem like judges still have a fair amount of discretion here. They're just being asked to consider other alternatives. What am I missing? Uh, so I think what you're missing is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, so outside looking in, looking in the in maybe stories, looking on dockets, yeah, it looks like judges have that discretion, but that's not occurring across the state. Um, when when the Supreme Court comes down with a, a recommendation on our, our on our lower courts, even circuit courts in the counties, um, you know, they these judges are getting the message, and you can't see my air quotes, right? Um, <laughs> this was this was a policy driven decision and and the supreme court is telling the each local court to um not use cash bail 
by putting cash bail on the very bottom, they're essentially telling them, do not resort to cash bail. Have you talked to judges who, who feel like they're hamstrung, that, that they feel afraid to even use cash bail without upsetting Absolutely. the Missouri Supreme and Court? You're not going to get a judge to come out publicly, right, and, and condemn the Supreme Court. That would be career suicide. But you, we, I have heard from judges that said that in, in their training meetings, they are being instructed not to use cash bail. Hmm. And, you know, and in, in something that's not getting discussed in this whole reform movement is, you know, the Constitution of the United States mentions cash bail. It actually mentions that bail shall not be uh, excessive, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a value to that system, right? It does. The Constitution does not mention electronic monitoring. It does not mention drug testing. It does not mention probation. You know, it, it just for us to go ahead and remove it removes kind of a the longest lasting public private partnership we've ever had, and that's the use of uh, bail agents. So nationally, there is, though, this growing concern that this country has a problem with over-incarceration. And, you know, the Constitution, it it says people are innocent until they're proven guilty. Are you worried about trying to get that balance right um, along with these concerns that that you outline with these specific rule changes? So I I think you're familiar. You're talking to the lawmaker here in Missouri, the Republican lawmaker that put restrictions on private probation companies, because I recognized that – you know, we just privatized the system and walked away, and people were being taken advantage of. Well, I passed a law that, that put on restrictions, and, and we do have to do more. But this is going to the extreme, um, and, and it, it's allowed to go to the extreme when you lose public comment. So you've got this bill where you would rescind all this. What's up next for that? Do you see that being on a fast track here? Um, I mean, it's it's going to be voted out of committee this this week, and hopefully we can have this debate because this is a very healthy debate. You know, we we're, both sides aren't going to be 100 percent right. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had this debate until the the Supreme Court overstepped its authority when it when it changed these rules. Um, but at least we're going to have a debate. We had more discussion about this in the hearing last week than anyone has ever had in the state of Missouri. Well, we're going to have more discussion about this today. Um, We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk to the chairman of the task force that recommended these rule changes. But um, Representative Justin Hill, we do want to thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break here. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation about bail reform. As we discussed before the break, the Missouri Supreme Court issued new rules for judges that went into effect last summer. Now, rather than require bail, which led to low-income suspects being locked up while they wait for trial, the rules instructed judges to first consider non-monetary conditions for pretrial release. Missouri Republicans aren't happy with those changes. And our last guest, State Representative Justin Hill, uh, just explained to us why he's filed a bill to try to force their repeal. And we're now joined by Rob Russell. He is the prosecuting attorney in Johnson County, Missouri. He's also chairman of the pretrial release subcommittee of the state's criminal justice task force. And he's joining us by phone to explain how these changes came about and what the committee hopes to still achieve. So, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you. Thank you. And we're also joined by Richard Rosenfeld. He's a professor emeritus of criminology and criminal justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And he studies things like crime stats. And we wanted to see what he knew about what was going on here these days. So, Richard, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So, Rob, um, I want you to walk us through how this works. Can judges still require cash bail before they allow a defendant to be released? Absolutely. (laughs) And is that Uh, happening in, in, say, Johnson County, Missouri? Yes, it is. It's, it's <laughs> happening in a lot of places. And, uh, you know, let me just kind of maybe back up and, and, and help a little bit. Uh, you know, bail is actually means release. It does not mean money. Bond means money. Uh, so when we talk about bail reform, we're talking about the terms of release of people uh, from jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the task force was uh, put together in 2017... My subcommittee took a look at this and began looking at it. And the first thing we saw was that the rules the Supreme Court were operating under at that point in time were drafted in 1978. The bail rules in the state of Missouri go back to 1938, and they did not accurately reflect the current state of the law Mm -hmm. uh, of, of bail in the state of Missouri or the United States. And so we put together these rules and made a recommendation to the Supreme Court to review them and adopt them. Now, the Supreme Court could have done that anyway because they have rulemaking authority for themselves Mm -hmm. without doing anything more than what they did. And the task force consisted of judges, prosecuting attorneys, public defenders, defense attorneys, law enforcement, highway patrol, sheriff, local law enforcement, um, people from the state court's administrator's office, uh, all people who are inherently involved every day in the administration of justice in the state. And uh, we took a look at the current law and said, hey, this doesn't even incorporate the Missouri Constitution's change to allow for detention of dangerous defendants Hmm. and the rights of victims to be heard at hearings. So so, there was a, it sounds like a number of modernizations that you felt like it was high time you, you got reflected in these rules. Uh, absolutely. And you know, we, we even looked at the Federal Bail Reform Act of 1984, which was approved by the United States Supreme Court. And there are many changes that we adopted almost verbatim from the federal bail rules into the state rules so that we have an accurate reflection of the current state of the law on pretrial detention and release. So, Richard Rosenfeld, I want to get your perspective on this as, as somebody who studies crime. Um, the American Bail Coalition has said that since these new rules took effect, there's been an increase in violent crime in the state of Missouri. Is that true? I, I can't tell you about the state of Missouri yet because I don't ho- have uh, those numbers. I do have the numbers, however, for the city of St. Louis, where we are now. And, uh, no, it doesn't seem to me one can draw a straight line between bail reform and crime increases. Um, so let's go back to July when bail reform was implemented and compare July 19 when it was implemented to the previous year. And it is true, violent crime was up during that July by about 17% over the previous July. Hmm. And it was up in August, 9%. And it was up in September, 23%. And then a tough in o- summer. <laughs> and, then in a- and then in October, compared to the previous October, it was up only... And then it fell in November, 2%. And then it was up 1% in December over the previous December. And then it fell by nearly 10% in January. And since the end of January, 
uh, violent crime has continued to fall. Those numbers don't tell me that bail reform has had this large and consistent effect on violent crime. Situation for property crime is a little bit different. Property crime rates were falling on a month-by-month basis immediately after bail reform was instituted. And then they began to rise, and the rise has been fairly consistent uh, from last September through January. So the situation for property crime is somewhat unclear. I would say the situation for violent crime does not tell a story of large effects of bail reform on violent crime rates. Now, one has to be careful here. Uh, What we really should be comparing are people who are committing crimes because they've been released from jail pre-trial who would have been kept in jail prior to bail reform, and we don't have those numbers. We just can't drill down to that level at this point. Well, we can. Uh, I haven't heard that anyone has. No one has. Okay. In- including uh, Representative Hill. And I did want to clarify one thing. Um, the American Bail Coalition uh, said there have been reports of an increase in crime. Right. Um, I said they said there had been an increase in crime. There is a, a subtle difference there. They might be basing this on the same sort of anecdotes that Representative Hill says he's seeing as opposed to some of this data, which yeah. seems to not reflect that. Uh, I'm, I'm fully aware that anecdotes Anecdotes can be quite dramatic and they can drive opinion, but uh, one needs to put anecdotes in context. And the larger context is not suggesting to me that we're seeing a violent crime, in particular a violent crime wave as a result of bail reform. Now, these kind of reforms are also happening all across the country. What are we seeing in other places that have tried these same things? Well, we're seeing the same debate that we're currently having here in Missouri. Uh, In the state of New York, some of your listeners may know there was a spike in crime in uh, this uh, January, and that was attributed by some to bail reform in New York City, uh, and uh, the spike occurred in New York City. In California, though, that has abolished cash bail, there's been no subsequent increase in crime. So um, I would say at best the situation is something of a mixed bag with respect to uh, impact on crime. But the debate rages on. That's for sure. Um, And Rob, I did want to ask you about really how big these changes are. I mean, weren't judges already supposed to be considering what they're now more required to do with these 2019 rules? Yes, we've we've asked judges to move away from a categorical approach to say, hey, this is the level of crime and a touch of money figure to it to determine what information you have as to what is the need of the least restrictive conditions, but still that includes a lot of conditions to satisfy the defendant coming to court and uh, to protect the community. So the the judges are just being asked to kind of put more on the record uh, than what they used to before. And maybe kind of the debate, maybe a little separate tangent here, but real quick, you talked about the Tequila KC shooting. Mm -hmm. And that individual had a $3,500, 10% bond in that case, which $350 was keeping him in jail. And the judge said if $350 is it, he went ahead and released him on his own recognizance. In St. Louis, Samuel E. Scott had a $5,000 cash bond posted for him after he said, if you let me out, I'm going to go home and kill my wife. And he made good on that promise when he went home and killed Marsha Johnson. Mm -hmm. So cash bail does not protect the people. It doesn't protect victims. It doesn't protect the community. Uh, What we're asking judges to do is take a look at the factors of what this person poses as a danger to not coming to court and as a danger 
to the life, safety, and health of the community and the victims in the case. And that's really what the impetus of the rule is. And we want to, if you're listening to this, we want to invite you to join the conversation. Do you support the court's changes to how bail is handled in Missouri? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Richard, just one last question for you. I'm wondering, what are some of the ways having these uh, less restrictive or least restrictive settings can actually be a good thing as, as far as public safety goes? Well, I don't think as a matter of public policy. Policy. We want to see people sitting in jail before they've been convicted of a crime simply because they don't have the economic wherewithal for release. So we've got, you know, we've got situations where we've got people who have committed identical crimes, have the same prior records, or otherwise the same. Those with economic means are released. Those without means are not. Now, if we had only a short period between arrest and case disposition, well, this wouldn't mean as much. But when we've got long, months-long periods of waiting in jail, what can happen to somebody who's sitting in jail? They can lose a job. Their family can be disrupted. They can lose an apartment. Uh, and uh, it, research has shown very consistently the more time somebody spends in jail pretrial, the more likely they will be sentenced to prison, mm-hmm. regardless of the crime committed or other factors. Why do you think that is? That, that's surprising to me. Uh, uh, it appears to be um, uh, the result of perhaps two things. First of all, in pretrial sentencing reports that judges use, the kind of condition of the defendant is described in the report. If the defendant mm-hmm. has lost a job or lost housing and otherwise seems, quote, quote, unstable, that can influence the judge's decisions. Judges can also look at the record and see that somebody has been kept in jail for a long time. And for some judges, that means ah, they pose a greater risk. <laughs> That's fascinating. Uh, not what I would have anticipated there, but I know you've <laughs> studied this. So, well, Richard Rosenfeld, Professor of Emeritus of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, Rob, I did have a few more things I wanted to talk to you about. And sure. one of them is that Representative Hill is really um, raising some concern about this process. He, he seems to sort of suggest there hasn't been public debate on this. Uh, walk me through a little bit how we got to the point of the Supreme Court implementing these. Well, the Supreme Court has its own inherent rulemaking authority, uh, so it, it passes rules all the time uh, for the administration of process in the courts, how things happen. Uh, in 2017, the task force uh, was put together, and my particular subcommittee was assigned to look at the issue of pretrial detention and release and what needed to be done to uh, you know, analyze that in the, in the current climate. And we took a long time. Uh, We heard from professors at different law schools. We heard from people in Washington, D.C., people from Denver, people from all over the country regarding uh, the rules, the processes, the use of different tools uh, to release people. And, And as a result of that multi-year process uh, made those recommendations to the court for them to consider for adopting. And if Representative Hill um, gets his way here um, with this bill to rescind these changes, how do you think that would impact the decision-making of judges? I I don't know that the decision-making of judges will be changed. The, The one concern I have is that the repeal of these rules would 
prevent us from using what I think is one of the most important tools for prosecutors to currently have, and that is the detention of people who are dangerous and keep them in jail until trial. You're saying that uh, Representative Hill's bill would it would eliminate that? It would eliminate that from the rule, yes. Okay, that's interesting because he's painting this as this is necessary to keep the bad guys locked up. You're saying it would have the opposite effect. Uh, yeah, the old rule that was in effect did not take into account Supreme the excuse me the constitutional change that allowed for detention of defendants uh, in Missouri and trial when they posed a danger to the public or or the or the witnesses and the victims in the case, hmm. and a return to the old rule removes that completely. Uh, that we put in there to at least for at least for the Supreme Court's consideration that they adopted and put in there um, for protection of victims and consideration of those things. The, Interesting. He talked, to, he talked about the 48-hour rule. The 48-hour rule is already in the rule that you're supposed to have a hearing for a person who is in jail within 48 hours of their arrest uh, to inform them of why they're in jail and you know inquire why they haven't met the conditions of release yet. Bigger picture, I mean, you're saying that these new rules um, were incorporated to try to, to get the what the Missouri Supreme or the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled on a number of fronts in order to get up to date on that. If we go back to the old way, are we at risk of a lawsuit saying this is all unconstitutional? Uh, you know, there have been lawsuits all across the country uh, regarding bail practices in courts. There is we even have one here. in St. Louis here. You have one in St. Louis. The the one right now that everybody is knowing about is in Harris County, Texas, which is Houston, mm-hmm. O'Donnell v. Harris County. Uh, that, that case, uh, the plaintiffs achieved victory, and it was affirmed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals at the United States federal court level. Uh, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I, I certainly think uh, it poses that risk that uh, the state could expose itself, but um, I, I, that's that's not something I'm ready to opine on one way or the other. But sure. I know that's already happened in St. Louis. It's happened in other places, and certainly uh, we think by adopting these rules, we've at least uh, by recommending the court's adoption of them that it is in fact uh, hopefully pushed the ball past uh, that concern. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Roland is calling from St. Louis. Roland, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, thank you for joining us. What, what's your thought on this? So the, the whole bail system is so corrupt that it, it's ridiculous. You it, have people that are arrested and are held in jail. The city workhouse is full of people that have been held in jail that are not guilty, mm-hmm. but who can't afford a lawyer, can't afford the the, um, the bail to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, prosecutors will negotiate with them guilty pleas to let them get out after they've been in for months. There was a case up in New York where this 17-year-old kid stayed in jail for almost, I think it was almost a year. Without trial, without bail, without anything, because his parents couldn't come up with the money. Mm. We, we point to one out of one million cases where somebody gets out of jail and kills somebody. But uh, I think one of the uh, speakers said something about the guy that posted bail and went out and promptly killed his wife. Mm-hmm. Those are one out of a, out of a million. They're kids, people picked up for shoplifting, 
loitering truancy and they're in the workhouse for months. Mm-hmm. Well, Roland, thank, thank you for that perspective. It sounds like you're a fan of, of trying to reform um, some of the ways things work around here. Rob, I did have a question for you. I know the bail bond industry in California, they've actually placed a referendum on the ballots there this fall trying to undo bail reforms. I'm wondering, have we seen any similar pushback from the bail bond industry here in Missouri? Yes, I think uh, the American Bail Coalition has uh, come into Missouri and they've talked to Representative Hill, as he said. Um, And I think it's kind of interesting to point out that the Supreme Court's rule does not abolish bail bondsmen, cash bonding, surety bonds, any of those things. It recognizes that those are an important tool in the process, Mm -hmm. but they are not the silver bullet or first place to begin. Uh, and just categorically assigning a dollar amount to a particular category of crime. That, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't achieve the process of looking at the individual's risk factors of whether they will come back to court or whether they will be a danger. So you heard Representative Hill earlier um, work through some of his concerns. What is the thing that you would want the members of the public to know as they're kind of trying to get their head around what all this means? I think for the public to know is that the court has adopted uh, rule changes that bring the law up to what the current state of the law is, uh, that judges are going to be making an individual determination on the risk factors of individuals standing in front of them, and not just assigning a dollar figure uh, to a particular crime without taking into consideration the individual circumstances in front of them. So uh, I know your caller called in about individuals sitting there because they didn't have the money to be in jail. Um, you know, hopefully courts will take that into consideration, look at those factors to determine whether or not a person uh, is a risk for showing up to court or is a danger uh, to the community or the victims. And those those be the two driving factors rather than saying, how much is this worth on a bail schedule? Mm-hmm. Now, Representative Hill said there's going to be a hearing on his bill um, later this week, and he seemed to really say that he wants to have a conversation um, with the people working on the Supreme Court process. Is that a conversation that you're up for having? This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis uh, Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWNU. Uh, I think, though, that I'm really kind of a little lower on the totem pole than the folks across the street from him in Jefferson City. So He could talk uh, to the Supreme Court justices, maybe, or administrators over there. Yeah, they have rulemaking authority. I do not. Sure. Uh, I, I have the right to recommend, at least I, as the chairman of the subcommittee, we recommend uh, for them to consider. And they're the ones that uh, I'm sure he needs to have the discussion with rather than me. Well, we do appreciate you joining us today to to help us um, understand how this all came about and and how this process worked. It's been really helpful to have you here. So um, Johnson County uh, Prosecutor Rob Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU.